The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 175 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new Comic Day Audio Digest for the week of January 11th, 2018. My name is Nick Weibar. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I'm here with Marcus Schwimmer. How's that cup of coffee, Nick? It's it's great, actually. Thank you for asking. No problem. I just It looks delicious. Are it you, smells delicious. Are you still working on your canned reply to your greeting in the podcast? That's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm working on. Are you going to find a, just a sweet catchphrase? Is it going to be, how's that cup of coffee? I think, you That's know, the bad. nice thing about a catchphrase is like you work it long enough, it definitely goes on a t-shirt. Curtis Sullivan is the other voice you hear. How's that cup of coffee? <laughs> it's great, buddy. Oh, goody. Insert applause. Should be a clap. There should be a clap track for that one. What's uh, what's going on with you, dudes? What's up with your world? I'm just cold enough for you. It's cold. It's chilly. I'm warm in here. Those this, this podcast weather, studio. Huh? This podcast studio is always a thousand degrees. In yeah. the summer, it's very hot. In the winter, it's very hot. It is. It, it is uh, not. I'm talking about the temperature on the podcast. That's what. That's what. It, no, it's uh, fascinating. That's Go what's on. up with my life. It's really... That's what's up with my life. We're in a sauna. <laughs> We're in a sauna. I got to take some more of my clothes off. Uh, Marcus has a fun little mark on his uh, overalls today. He sat in some tar. They're man bibs, first of all. That's the technical term? Technical term is man bib. All right. You prefer that over yep. overalls? Yep, I do. Absolutely. It's a man bib. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I uh, sat on a bench, and a guy before me who was using it was using it to tar some stuff. And so I got a big black mark right by my bung bung. Like right, right perfectly where your butthole it's is. It's a little high. It's a little high. Yeah. But thought, it's I, very close. It's very close. It's, conspi- it's conspicuous. It's very close to the Duke Duke zone. Oh. I thought you were going to say the Duke shoot. I don't want to hear either one of those things ever again for the rest of my but life. I don't want to buy new man bibs because they're, you know, they're like 150 bucks plus. And speaking of keeping us in man bibs, yeah. I'd like to uh, take a moment if we could. And talk directly to our listeners. We are entering into our third year of Super Skull. That's pretty cool. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. 175 episodes of Super Skull. And it has been, let's get real, this has been a labor of love for all 175 episodes, plus one-offs, plus interviews, and all of that stuff. It, and by a labor of love, we've, you might have noticed that we've never had a commercial or an ad on Super Skull. Never it's, once. No, it's totally complimentary. It's totally complimentary, and, that, and it always will be until we turn out the lights. It's going to be a show. It's a podcast. That's how it works. But we are coming to you today because we need your help if we're going to keep this thing alive. Uh, the, the show is something that we don't talk about very much. And it's a little, to be frank with you, it's a little uncomfortable to talk about. It's a little weird. It's a little weird to say out loud, but uh, it's it, it does. It, the show takes time, and it takes, and we all have jobs. And in case you didn't notice, because there are no ads on this show, we don't do this for a living. We do this because we like hanging out with each other, and we like uh, giving you something to listen to. So we're coming to you and asking you for some help. So you can help us in a couple different ways. You can help us by telling somebody you know about the show. Nothing would help more than that. 
we would love it if we could grow our listenership and just make it bigger, make the whole thing bigger. But and you can also follow us on social media, share our posts. Um, we 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 take pride in our in our social media stuff. It's something we're talking about growing. So anytime you see we post it, just hit that share button. It's absolutely huge. I actually don't know how the internet works or social media works. I, we still can't no figure idea. it out. Could you? Oh no! I thought you guys could explain it to me. No, it uh, and thus explain it to our listeners. Oh, absolutely. So. Uh, most of the stuff we post on is on the old Facebook. Uh huh. And when you see and our. And what is that? Facebook is the most popular. It's like a newspaper. It's like a newspaper, but online with your friends and relatives who you try to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you see our posts uh, come up on your Facebook wall or in your feed, on the bottom there's a little share button. You have to copy and paste the whole thing. You don't. You and just, then you don't. You, you just... email it to someone? None of that. None of that. You just hit that little share button. Okay. And it'll pop up to all your friends too. It's the quickest thing you can do to get the word out there that there's a podcast that you like listening to. That sounds really easy. It's very simple. It doesn't seem like that would take much time at all. It takes just, about just a four couple seconds. of clicks. Yeah. Can you also just retype the whole post and just put it up on your own page? Just re- like word for word. Yeah. We, Find the aim, save image as to your desktop. Yes. Recreate the whole post. Create a folder. Yeah. Probably it, probably could do that, but you could also just click the share button. All right, if you say so. so um, that would be really, really helpful. Yeah, be, it'd it be sounds huge. like. Be, just because the more eyes that land on Super Skull and what we're trying to promote and what we're trying to get out there, um, hopefully the bigger our community becomes. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, 2018, we got a lot of plans. We're trying to do some stuff. With the podcast, trying to grow the podcast, and um, one of the one of the barometers of whether or not this is successful is we can see our listener numbers, and we would we we would like to and we need to grow them substantially. To be quite frank with you, in order to to keep doing this and to keep making this a thing, so we sincerely and legitimately need your help to do that. The most effective thing to do is to get just to tell someone that you know that they should check out the podcast, grab their phone from them subscribe them to the podcast or download one episode for them to check out. After that, share some stuff on social media, post about us in Reddit. It would super, super mean a lot and it would ensure our ability to keep doing this for a while longer. Yeah, you you can even share the podcast. Sorry, Mark. uh, You can share the podcast right from, from iTunes. There's a little share button right there. Just send it to people who you, who think, you know, need to hear us babble on about comic books. Yeah. We're super passionate about comic books. We love doing this show because, we love talking about comic books, and we want people to take all this this intense knowledge that we bring to the table. Yeah, all our smarts, all our our comic book critiques. You landed on too thick. Sorry, also, but seriously, we really love comics, and then we want people to check it out. So, please, and we need them to. Also, feel free if you if you see us post something on social media, add a comment. The more. Uh, communication that's happening between our community members and the more our community is talking to one another, the more organic this whole thing is. And we might even like learn something about how you guys listen to and enjoy the show and we can try to get better at it and make it better and for you. We would love that. There's a there's a large group of people who really dislike me. So <laughs> if you're one of those people, you start a group, start a page. I'm yeah. fine with it. I don't care. And, and even though those people make me sick, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. And I and I'm not on their team because I'm on Team Marcus for life. Yeah, forever. I think Nick is secretly. But, but I get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. But here's the last thing too. May I interject? Of course. Of course. So we just set up as of this listening. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you can go to superskullshow.com, which is our website. And now, for the first time ever, you can support this podcast with money. 
and we've never asked you guys to do this before. And once again, I can't stress this enough. This is very uncomfortable for me. This feels weird to talk about. But this is where we're at. In order to justify this, in order to pay our producer and able to grow this thing, in order to help us get the word out at a larger scale, we need some help. We need some support. So on our page, there's a few different options. There's some recurring donation options. Right on the top of the page, you'll see donate. On the main page, you'll see a giant button that says support the show. If you... Go into that page. You'll see some recurring donation options for different varying amounts of money where it'll just give us money every month. There's a, you know, for $5 a month, which is like basically a buck an episode, it would be amazing and super helpful. And if half of our listeners did it, we could continue this thing in perpetuity for a really long time. There's also a one-time donation button where you can just make a one-time donation like, hey, cool, this is what I think of your podcast and enjoy this gift. Any amount. And any amount. And there's also this new thing that we're going to try to start doing, something called the letters page, where for 50 bucks, you can send us a message that we will read on the air. So if some of your friends listen to the show, you can, by sending us a little bit of money, we will read your message to them on the air. Or maybe you're trying to promote something, or maybe you're trying to get the word out about something that you think is cool. We will read it with our mouths. Looking to propose? No better way. It's the best way. Super Skull. It's the best way. It's the best way to propose. And we will read your message out loud legitimately and with sincerity. It sounds, you know, Nick, will you marry me? That's that's all it takes. Yes. Thank you. The answer is, of course, yes. Yes. $50. That's what it gets you. Oh, my stomach started. I got butterflies Mm -hmm. there. You're welcome. Oh, man. Was that real? Did that just happen? No, it's not real. I know it's not real. We should, I, I, you know, I just want to jump in real quick and say that, like, we all three of us love doing Super Skull. It's one of my favorite things every single week, and we want to keep it going. Yes. Um, and we've tried to do this ad-free and request-free for as long as we can. We're just at a little bit of a turn right now where um, we're coming to you, our listeners, and you, our community, and, and asking for a little bit of love. Yes. Yeah. Regardless, we appreciate you tremendously. Thank you so much for listening and uh, for listening for as long as you have. And finally, the first 10 people that donate anything to us, we're going to give you a free Super Skull shirt in a size. Hopefully close to the one you wear, but not guaranteed. We probably have it. We may or may not have it. But we'll do our best. Oh, God. Can we stop talking about this now? Please. I suppose. We're probably going to talk about it again. I'm sure we will. Can we do some in the news instead? Yes. In the news. I have news. Hark it. Hark it to the streets. Hark. Asmodee recently, there's a great article on ICV2. Nick's favorite website. I love that website. And we're going to link to it in the show notes as per usual. And in this article, Christian Peterson and Steve Horvath, uh, the CEOs and the CMO of Asmodee, which is one of fast becoming one of the biggest uh, board game publishers uh, in the country and in the world. Humongous game company. So these dudes, not only, and, and like you've got your Hasbros, you've got your Mattels, they make, you know, the lion's share of all the board games that get sold on planet Earth. But the games that we talk about, uh, these are, Asmodee, those are the, these are the big dogs. They're making the some of the best stuff on the planet, for sure. And they have. In this interview, they discussed the problem of counterfeit games, which I didn't know was a thing. 
It's crazy. And it's absolutely crazy. Not only is it a thing, but there are some games out there where they speculate that, you know, Christian Peterson speculates could be up to 50% of what's available out in the wild for people to purchase is a counterfeit of that game specifically. And they go as far as to say that it's an existential threat to the board game industry. Well, with the way printing and manufacturing works, if you if you're a company that does counterfeit stuff, if you're an outfit that does counterfeit stuff, there's a way to do it. All you need are the files, and if you yeah. have access to someplace to manufacture this stuff, I mean, we're talking about the biggest games in board games. We're talking about Settlers of Catan, Ticket to Ride, Seven Wonders. These are heavily affected titles. That is nuts. And I just wasn't aware of it, and I find it really fascinating. It's not something that, you know, for, we think about comic book counterfeit, you know, uh, scans and bootleg comic books, especially for manga. We've, we've talked about it, and we're aware of it, but I'm not thinking about counterfeit games to a large extent. No, and comics all digital stuff. This is people yeah. manufacturing things, yeah. boxes, rule books, cards, board game components. Yes. Right? This is crazy. Here's my question, though. is like if you go to the store to buy a board game... That store has purchased that board game from a distributor. Yes. So that chain of command should be pretty solid. So it seems that all of these counterfeit games would have to be purchased on the internet. Now, we had access to no shortage of counterfeit games when you were at the store, Marcus. We we did, yes. And we might have accidentally, without any intent or weird intent, we might have accidentally, when we're like really trying to find something and we just want to be able to put it on the shelf and we can't find it anywhere else. It's not out of the question that we, in trying to go through these outside channels, accidentally bought something that was counterfeit. Totally. Now, if the, if you don't give a shit and you deliberately go out looking for it, I'm sure you could find whatever you want for probably really good prices and a great markup. That's true. Well, and and these guys talk about how Amazon, even though you know it's on the internet, so it's it's a little more loosey goosey than you know the physical supply channel, you know, distributor to retailer, brick and mortar thing. That Amazon is infested with counterfeit product as well. So even this big giant company that should have, you know, you think more checks and balances, right? Stuff still getting through. Yeah, I don't think Amazon gives a shit. Yeah, that's the other thing. You know? So Christian Peterson actually he lists these two things. These are the the big uh, the big impacts of this. So first of all, it's the lost sales. Like obviously, you know, it's just money that's not coming to Asmodee. It's going to counterfeiters. And the other one is the effect that it like has on the brands because if you sell this stuff at a lower price then it makes other board game pri- inflated prices, they look inflated, Correct. rather. So that affects how you see that publisher, and that affects how you value that publisher if it looks like their games are too expensive, which over the long run deteriorates the entire like brand of Asmodee. It seems that the, the solution to this problem, though, is for... I mean, we know this. We've, you know, we've worked in the board game industry or in the, in the retail industry, Board game companies have not figured out their supply and demand yet, and it's been like an ongoing problem for years. True. So if you want to stop counterfeiting, you should probably make your product available. Yeah. I've never seen an industry that has inventory issues like board games do. It's. I mean, that's, that's fair. And they while they're getting better at it, and I think every year they get a little better at it. Uh, it's it is a it's a real thing. It's a real problem, especially for the hot games that push sales. But that's not going to help people that are just like looking for a better deal and and want to buy it from right. the cheapest source that they totally can find ju- it from. Yep. Totally the other ju- thing he mentions that I thought was really cool is like a lot of these counterfeiters. It's so prolific that people are buying these lower quality knockoffs, and this is now becomes what people think of as the quality of this product. Right. You know, so you're getting a shitty copy of Seven Wonders and the cards suck or the components suck and, yeah. you know, 
you just think, oh, well, this this is a. Uh, what games are? I don't. I'm not interested. So Asthma Day must make shitty games because yeah. I don't know any better. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a he, that sucks. Yeah. yeah. I have some news, please. As you guys know, as longtime listeners and co-hosts of the podcast, I love variant covers. Okay. I particularly love lenticular covers. Are you being silly? I am being silly. I despise them and everything about them. But there was some major drama <laughs> this week with Marvel and their lenticular cover run. What's a lenticular cover? A lenticular cover is like when you have a cover and you look at it one way and it looks like one thing, and you turn it a little bit and it looks like another thing. Yeah, it looks like shitty if you look at it, and then if you turn it a little bit, it, it looks really shitty. Exactly. And it makes a cool noise, too, if you rub it. That's exact. That is it. That's the best part of a lenticular cover. I think we can all agree. Yeah, it's so, a gimmick. It's a huge gimmick, and it's part of this whole variant cover craze that's going on. It has been going on for the last couple of years, but all throughout Marvel Legacy, um, you to get these variant covers, which which at times are valuable. I'm gonna put valuable in quotations because they're not actually valuable. They're pieces of paper. But um, <laughs> to get these lenticular covers, you have to order X amount of book A, and you'll get. A number of lenticular covers. Curtis can probably explain. It's this uh, it's so goofy. Give us an example. So we're we have right in front of us Avengers: No Surrender, number, number one. one. What? How many? What of what? And how many of those did you have to order to get? So that? this this is not the best example because then lie to me. I'm gonna lie to you. They they just let us order this one, but if it was like how they used to do it, I would have to order 120 percent of this issue. Or, or a previous issue of some other book to get any lenticular covers of this book. So, for example, if I wanted to get lenticular Avengers 675, I would have to order 200% of Old Man Logan number 31 to even be able to order any of these. So it unlocks my ability as a retailer to order them. And the idea here is that it creates an artificial rarity. It's absolutely what right? it does. It creates that there's less of these on the street because not every retailer is gonna have met the conditions in order to be allowed to order this lenticular cover. Correct. So that means there's fewer of them out in the world, which means their value is higher in theory. Potentially. In theory, yes. Yes. So Mar- and in fact, you know, they do sell for more, That's at least true. in the short term. In the very, very short term, you're absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. Not always in the long term. Almost never. Um in my opinion. But why is this news? It's Lent- news because Marvel announced that they were going to open the floodgates on all their lenticular covers for the leg- the uh, legacy books. L- thank you, the legacy books. And retailers lost their shit. So that means that these books that were going to be rare and difficult to find and that retailers could mark up at a higher amount because yep. of their perceived rarity, Marvel announced that all you had to do was order one single issue of a subsequent series, and then you could order as many of the lenticular covers as you want. Which is the way, in my opinion, that it should be. That's the way it should be. I'll back you Thank up. Thank you. So, but, but, these uh, lenticular covers and these variant covers are very, very profitable to certain comic shops because they pay the same amount for those books. Even mm-hmm. though they have to order all the other books, they pay the same amount as they would on a normal comic. Sometimes, though, these variant covers can go for up to 100 to $150. Mm-hmm. So they get giant markups on it. Yeah. So Marvel announced that they, you know, they're not going to be rare. You can just order as many as you want. And some retailers really lost their mind. Well, then Marvel announced... No, we're not actually going to do that. We are going to put a rarity on them. And at the time that they did it, some of the ordering for the books had already been done. Uh-oh. So now retailers are saying, wait a second. 
I was expecting to be able to order all these lenticular covers. I've talked to my customers about it. I think this is a really good idea. So Marvel essentially uh, made both sides very unhappy. But once again, they've gone back to that hardcore fan base, that collectible fan base, and said, no, you're right. We're going to side with you on this one. And it's a huge bummer. I think it's super dumb. We were one of the boycotter stores for this. I ordered... No lenticular covers for this entire... Wait, you t- were just scratching one. I just heard it. Yeah, well, this is one of the ones where they just, like, made it and you could just have it. Oh, so, so th- you you boycotted the tiered the covers. The tiered stuff? If I had to do anything, if I had to buy any certain amount of anything before this in order to get that, you said, no, no thank you, nurse. Not a, I wouldn't change it one book. Maybe I'd change it one book. And if we were already hitting that plateau, fine. Maybe I'll order two or three lenticulars. But you went to no extra effort in order to None. acquire them. And we would sell our lenticulars, I don't mind saying, at cover price. Really? Because we hate money? Because we hate money, and that's why we... Did you not hear the beginning of the fucking podcast here, man? <laughs> yeah. We're broke. We're broke, man. <laughs> we ain't got no time. We ain't got no money. In the end, the reason I think that this is important is um, I think we should be paying attention to this because I have noticed a trend that Marvel is starting to really double down on its old school fan base, and I think this is another kind of signal of them doing that. Where Wait, you have noticed this trend? We have all everyone, all oh, okay. of us, every <laughs> single person in this room has noticed this trend, and uh, this is just them doubling down on that once again. I personally think it's a huge bummer. Yeah, just the loudest retailers are just, these are just such a, in my mind, I hope, and it feels like there's such a tiny percentage. I wish Marvel could could talk to other retailers, the broader base of comic retailers, and just, because the consensus cannot be this crazy fucking ordering system. But in there, I mean, if you're getting yelled at on the internet, I did not go on the internet and yell anything reasonable on That's, behalf of Vault of Midnight. <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean? Right. So the only Shit. the only people they hear from are the the angriest, which is I guess how the internet works. But like, this is a bad business choice for Marvel because they would have sold probably a lot more comic books if they would have opened the floodgates. They're actually losing money. I wonder if you. I wonder if anyone buys these things because they do cost a little bit more. The yeah. cost is not the same. I wonder if retailers buy them if they don't have the ability to mark them up. I just think they're stupid gimmicky covers and they shouldn't make them. They're <laughs> never cool looking. They're, no, they never look good. I'm saying, does anyone think that these are well, cool I, looking? I'll disagree with you guys. I think they're kind of cool. I do, sometimes. And the modern ones can be pretty cool. Like, I like this Avengers cover. You're I think right. it's pretty, like it. I think it's your pretty awesome. Now, Marvel, I mean, That's awesome. we don't have to get into it. Marvel has done some cool variant cover runs. Variant covers. But well, I'm talking about lenticular. Yeah, lenticular covers always suck and have always sucked. <laughs> They're just the worst. They're also a harbinger of doom. <laughs> they, they really they, are. They are a harbinger of a collapsing industry. No, yeah, you you might as well have like a a, a raven with three three, <laughs> three blood red, red eyes, you know, on your door of your comic exactly. shop. Ah! Yeah, because and the reason we say that is because before the market seriously crashed in the 90s, this is why it's because of inflated gimmicky stuff exactly like and specifically lenticular covers. When it just started the one up, then it was storm foil, then it was lenticular wrap around storm foil gatefold and then yeah. Yeah. The best thing you can do to help the industry is not give a shit as a buyer about varying covers and lenticular. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the best thing you can do. I've just made five more people on the internet hate me. Just like like that. Hey, guys. I get it. (laughs) And before we leave the in the news this week, I want to take a moment to remember Dave Hawksworth, who passed away on the 9th of January. Dave 
Hawksworth wasn't he wasn't a household name necessarily. You might not know right away who I'm talking about, but uh, he worked for Diamond Comics for a couple of decades, and he was their on the road sales rep. Yeah. So Diamond Comics has this thing where they they feature comic shops, and there's pictures of the shops and little bios and info about how the shop runs and who runs it, and everybody in the industry is aware of this thing that's on the front page of Diamond's website every single week. And Dave, by virtue of that, by virtue of his position, traveled all around the country and probably had seen more comic shops than I bet almost anyone on the planet. Agreed. And he is a solid dude. You know, we spent a lot of time talking shit about Diamond Comics, but uh, Dave was by far... uh, with like a shining light out of that company. He just, he appreciated comic shops. He was a champion for good comic shops and what good comic shops were capable of. He was enthusiastic and into whatever your store was into. He knew you by name. He knew your staff by name. He was a really remarkable dude and uh, he's going to be missed seriously. Yep, yep. In a big company like Diamond, uh, nobody knows our name still. We've been dealing with those guys for 22 years. Yep. You know, even our account rep, uh, (laughs) <laughs> doesn't know us as well as right. Dave Hawksworth did. Yep. That guy, I, I could call him on the phone. If we had trouble, I would call him personally yep. and he would handle it. He, w- he was just the coolest dude. He had our backs the whole time we were a comic store. He will be truly missed. He's a champion on behalf of comic book shops and he was a, he was a champion on behalf of this industry and uh, he, he, I think he deserves more recognition uh, than, than a lot of people working in the industry today. So Great. you'll be missed, Dave. You will indeed. Let's do some big picks, for real. I, I, yes. It was a light week this week. There's five Wednesdays in the month, so the books are spread out a little bit. And on top of that, we were missing some of the stuff at the comic shop that supplies the books that we read. So I think we should just break some rules this week. I just want to talk about some of the best and weirdest shit you read this week. I would it may love not to be, do that. It may not be a number one. It's, it's not going to be a number one. It's, Let's be fact, honest. In fact, it's not going to be some number ones this week. Marcus? Yes. How is your is your shit together? Not at all. Do you need to get your shit together? I, I'm I'm actively getting my shit together right now. Why don't we give you a second while okay. you get your shit together? <laughs> and we so talked to Curtis about his big pick. Okay, before we get into my big pick, I want to mention two things. That oh my God, there's so many caveats. I, I already gave all the fucking caveats. Well, look, I didn't get to read two books that I'm really excited about, and they're from Marvel, The House of Idea. Old Man Hawkeye, number one. In Avengers, No Surrender, 675 with a sweet, sweet... I don't know if you heard of these things. They're called lenticular covers. Mm-hmm. They sound like this. They're really cool. This is a big old crossover by Mark Wade, who's the best. Are you Right now, are you talking about books that you didn't read? I didn't read them, but I want to read them. What is your vocal inflection right now also? <laughs> I'm getting weird with it. <laughs> so these were like some of the b- comics that were lost in the shipping system that we didn't get until late, and I'll be reading them right after this podcast. But my big pick... So that's just an update for you, the listener, on what Curtis is going to be reading I'm later I'm going to be evening. reading them. They're probably going to be sweet. It's cool. Headlopper number eight is my big pick. Sweet. It's the number eight, and so it's not a number one. It's not even close to a number one. It's actually the fourth and final story of this story arc, The Crimson Tower, which is uh, finds our titular character. Is that the right word? Mm. Titular? 
Yeah, he's the headlopper, and it's about him, the headlopper. Okay, And the cool. name of the book is The Headlopper. So I use that word correctly then. Totes. Nice! Totular. This, <laughs> this guy lops off a lot of heads, and he's a sweet, sweet fighter. His name is Norgal, and he's been in this this place, the Crimson Tower, fighting to survive, to get these magic crystals and get out alive. This, like, magic ancient wizard guy has, like, trapped him and his companions in this this ancient temple. Ulrich. Ulrich. The, the bad wizard. He's a real jerk face. Mm-hmm. He's all immortal and stuff. He's got weird powers. He's got all these kick-ass uh, fighting dudes that are attacking our heroes. Now, the Crimson Tower is kind of a ritualistic uh, tournament of sorts. Yes. And there are folks that are chosen from nearby areas to compete and survive in the Crimson Tower. Yes. And Norgal finds himself in there for reasons that I don't remember. It, this book is quarterly. Uh-huh. And I have a hard time remembering. that. So it was a, like a year ago that this book first started coming out. Correct. But- Regardless, Norgal's in this tower. He's not necessarily trying to be the champion, but he now that he's here, he has to survive it. He wants to get out alive for sure, but the uh, evil wizard who runs this place has really gotten under his skin, and he's definitely... He's trying to lop that head. He wants to cut this dude's head off. And the real star of this book is Zania. Right. Who is in this Crimson Tower trying to look for her mother. Yes, yeah, so she actually comes to the tournament to be there. She has this. She's the person with like the big story, and it's really the whole book kind of centers around her in a lot of ways. Correct. We should also mention that Norgal carries around a witch's head with him. It's, Agatha, the Blue Witch, one of my favorite characters in comics. Agreed, one hundred. The head, yeah, it's so dope. And Ulrich really wants that witch's head because Norgal lopped that shit off a long time ago and he's been carrying it around with him because she's so powerful that it's too dangerous to just leave somewhere. He might have some sort of plan, but across eight issues of this quarterly comic, we have no idea like what his plan is for Agatha or why he keeps her around, even though she can talk to him and occasionally do magic and they hate each other. No, he, she's very irritating. He hates her. and She hates him. And it, yeah, it goes both ways, and he's not really this altruistic dude. So there's some other reason that we don't know why he's keeping this head. Yeah, like who he, you know, does, why would he give a shit if somebody else got the he's up to the head, right? There's yeah, something there. There's right? a big. There's going. We've built up to a big reveal, and I'm very excited to see what that's going to be. And Nor, but they have this like Norgal and Agatha, the headlopper and the witch's head that he carries around, have this weird sense of like loyalty to each other mm-hmm. too. Like they know that. Like, she knows the deal. She knows that she's better off hanging off of his belt than she is sitting around the Crimson Tower. So they definitely yeah. have this, like, weird symbiotic relationship, even though they both hate each other. The Headlopper, no, it's not called The Headlopper. It's just called Headlopper. It's one of my favorite comics releasing right it's now. It's super good. It's this guy, Andrew McLean. He writes it. He draws it. He uh, just packs in. I mean, it's like 96-page issues. They're huge. Mm-hmm. That's why it comes out quarterly, because it's three comics in one, three beefy comics in one. Just check it out. Check out Headlopper. There's a volume out now. Grab any issue. I think you can just grab an issue. It's very I, weird and I dense. I think you're out of your mind if you think you can grab any issue. But there's a volume of this whole story. It's coming out in April. It That's was true. The number one gift I gave out this year. I gave out more copies of Headlopper than just about hey, anything volume else. Volume one? Volume one, nice. yeah. Dope, dope, I gave dope, it to dope, like dope. probably 10 or 12 different people. Yeah. It's a good book. Great gift. Yeah, if you like high fantasy, this is it. It's got a good sense of humor without being a funny book. Mm-hmm. It's got a wild art style that... There's moments in this book where it's the best drawn 
thing on the planet. In terms of actions specifically, like he will break down a moment where the head lopper does something awesome in order to lop off a head and just break it down over a series of panels and really clear, distinct actions. That's like, oh, yep, that's how he did that. And it was very impressive and very cool. And you buy all of the action. Andrew McLean's better at that than like, I can't think of anybody that that does it as well as him. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a great style and totally unique. It really leaps off the shelf. There's no other Andrew McLean on the stands. This guy is For real. a beautiful, beautiful artiste and writer. That's my big pick. That's a head really lopper number eight. Check it out. Check it out. Check out the volume when it releases. Marcus, hello. Is your shit together? It's it's. I feel like my shit is more together now than it has been. Cool. Previously, is cool. your shit together? My shit is, is, yep. It's I just checked. It's together. Great, all of it. Super. My book this week is Nemo by IDW, and can I tell you guys a story? Please. When I was a young man, I, uh, I was a young man. When I was a young man, I was infatuated with a certain not great movie. Um, that movie was called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, starring <laughs> Sean Connery. Oh. <laughs> Have you seen it? Have you seen this piece of cinematic work? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's great. It's bad. You, st- you still like it? I'd watch it right now if it was available. Yeah. Um, but the theme of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is that all of these characters from literature and kind of horror have to band together to save the world. Are you a fan of the comic book? I've never read it. Dead serious. For real? Dead serious. Never it's, read it's it. It's an Alan Moore book. I know. That's probably why I haven't read it. It's a fantastic. Ooh. It's um, one of the best Alan Moores. I'm sure it's great. It's absolutely stunning. I didn't book. know it was a comic book at the time, not until I started working at the shop. Who but. are who is on the team of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Who well, you there's, got? there's Sean Connery. Yeah. Um, who plays Alan Quartermain? Yes. Who is a Englishman who goes to Africa and gets cursed. Mm-hmm. He cannot die. If he dies, his body gets brought back to Africa, and he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um. There is The Wife of Dracula. Mina Harker. Thank you so much. I haven't seen this movie in a couple years, so I'm very glad. I'm referencing the comic right now. Uh, Great. (laughs) That makes sense, too. Uh, There's Captain Nemo. Captain Nemo, like from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. From 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Thank you. Um, And if I remember, oh, uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Correct. And there's a young hotshot American in the movie. Is he in the comics? He is not. They may have added him for sex appeal. Man, who is it in the movie? It's like- uh, I can't remember. Oh, my goodness. He's like, uh, oh, fart. He's an American cowboy who comes to learn from Tormey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you definitely watch the movie. You're like, why is this dude in this Uh, movie? And the Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. Yes. So when I saw this movie, because I, I was a big Sean Connery fan, I went and started to research all of these people, never never deciding to go read the comic. But one of the things I loved was Captain Nemo in Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. You ever read the book, 20,000 Leagues Under the 20, Sea? 20,000 Leagues. God, I'm so... Yeah. Um, I tried. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that. I get, It's not an easy read. Um, have you read it? Mm-hmm. You, would you agree with that, that it's, it can be a little dry? Yeah, all Jules Verne's stuff is like, he, he packs a lot of the... Packs a lot of stuff in there. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of extra material about the science and the trying to justify the science of the crazy thing that he's doing. But yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, it's a good book. And the, so the concept of this character is that there's Captain Nemo, and he he is the captain of a ship that can go deep underwater. The Nautilus, called the Nautilus, which is one of the coolest ships yeah. ever conceived. He's a fascinating character. Um, he's a little bit crazy. He's in the yeah. book. He's just he has shades of antihero, but he's not quite a villain. But he's not quite a good guy. He has his own code. He has his very much his own code. And he's chosen to live 
in the sea. He <laughs> he won't. He he's set aside the things of the land and the things of mankind so right. that he can he can live in the sea and do his research and sail his submarine around. Yeah, and he's part scientist, part adventurer at times, mm-hmm. but he he is not. He rules with an iron fist. He does, but if you follow his code, you know things are going to be okay, and he usually doesn't doesn't mess up too bad. Um, but what I liked about this book, Nemo, is like I said, I thought that the I thought Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea was a little dry. Um, maybe I'll go back and try to give it a read. But this graphic novel essentially covers the storyline of that character in a very approachable and wonderful graphic novel, and I appreciate it when IDW does this kind of stuff. Now we should say this is not an adaptation strictly of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. They take some liberties. Yes, they do. in this book, but it's focused on Nemo. And Nemo is really a villain in this book. Yeah. Don't you think it's fair yeah, to say? Yeah, I would, I would say that. Yeah, he, he gives no cares for anyone else's opinions. Yeah. He is pretty much a, a iron fist. So yeah. may I give a premise? You may. Is of that course. okay? Yeah, of course. So these uh, this professor, uh, the professor's assistant and a harpooner are sent out to find this creature that has been terrorizing ships at sea. A narwhal, they a, believe. A narwhal, they think. They think it's some sort of like mythical creature. And they encounter this creature at sea. The creature destroys the ship and they are thrown overboard and they wash onto the creature, which turns out to be... The Nautilus. The Nautilus. Yes. They, bom, bom, bom. they inhabit the Nautilus and Captain, and they meet Captain Nemo who tells them that now that you've seen my shit, you can never leave. Correct. Oh, Originally, no. he tries to send two of them Back to the sea. Yeah, one of them, he's like, oh, yeah. pr- professor, you're going to love this shit. You can <laughs> live on this submarine with me. We can talk about fish and stuff. Like, this is going to be great. I got this huge library. Uh, these other two dudes I'm going to totally kill right now. Because it is, they have assaulted the sea. Yes. And now it is up to the sea if they live or die. Yeah, exactly. Especially the harpooner. And they, but he changes his mind. He is, uh, he's, he's kind of an, an ephemeral dude. He just, he changes, he's mercurially changes his mind. And he brings him back on. But Much like the sea. Much like the sea. And they have to live there. They have to live on the submarine with them. Right. Which, which sounds so dope. No. To live on a the Nautilus doesn't sound dope. No, they're, they're prisoners in a submarine. I understand that. But the premise of living on the Nautilus like if they sounds weren't pretty prisoners. Do- they, yes. Yes. Okay. But, I mean, the Nautilus is like the coolest vehicle. It's pretty good. Maybe ever. It's pretty good. But um, either way, I think... I think you. That- He's trying to sell them on it. It's like, well... Got this really big library, (laughs) and the harpooner's like, I don't give a fuck about this at all. And then he's like, Well, I have this really great window. This, like, look, this giant porthole, you can see so much of the sea. And that's about it. You can never leave. I'll see you guys in uh, about a year. I don't know. I'll see you around. Yeah. Really great stuff. Um, So I highly recommend it. I I appreciate it. IDW will uh, go out of the way. This is not originally a book printed in English. Um, and IDW is one of really the two companies, two major companies, them and Titan Comics right now have really been pushing to release translated books. It's happening. Yeah, we're seeing more and more pu- publishers. Yeah. Magnetic uh, Press would be the other yeah, third that's one right. in there. Correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And they're leaning into it. It's really cool. Who is the creator of this book? This book is created by Bruno. One word, one, one name. One word, Bruno, cool. which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, check it out. I am always a fan of... Checking out uh, non-English books, and uh, so far, 2017 was a great year, and if this book is any indication, going to 2018, we're going to have another good year of European comics. The art style's really nice. It's in that Hellboy zone, it's in that Headlopper zone, it's colorful, it's cartoony, but it's got a very 
distinct style. I will say that was one of my one of my complaints about this book was that I think this dude does scenery very well. He does big very well. But sometimes when he gets into those focus scenes, I thought it was a little abstract and could be a little sloppy. A little hard to tell what was going on yeah. sometimes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But I, Bruno. A small complaint for I an otherwise a, good book. I have a question yes. for you guys. Why don't – I know that this creator, I don't know anything about him um, because Marcus didn't tell us anything about him. But – I know that he is not American because he uses one name, one word for his cartoonist name, Bruno. Right. That's how how you know. How come more American cartoonists don't do that? Hmm. Because we have last names. They have no no last names uh, across the pond. They were just born without them. I like, what's this thing over the U, the two dots? The umlau? The umlau. Yeah. And that's, and how do you, is that, that's because you say the U differently. Is that I, I would assume so, yeah. Bruno? Yeah, probably. Oh, wait. Say that again, Curtis. I Bruno. Really, I really, really like that. It's always good to have an umlau in your name because it looks like you have a big smiley face right in the middle. It just looks like deluxe. You have like a U, but this is a deluxe U. Yeah, this you guy know? is German, by the way. If you were a cartoonist that was based out of France and Germany, what would your one name, one word cartoonist name be? Mine would be Breakfast. Mm. It's pretty good. It's a great meal. It's the first thing you think about when you wake up. You know yeah. what I mean? I get that. Mine would be... It's got to be one word. That's hard. Yeah. Mine would be Crimson Moon, but one word, no space. Uh, <laughs> Cr- Crimson <What>? Moon. <laughs> now I'm just thinking about food names. Yeah. You know? My name would be... Eggplant. Not eggplant. Hamburger. 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 Because right. I could get an Enya in there, I feel like. All right. Or an umlaut. This well is dry. Yeah, I'm gonna it's move very on. done. Yeah, let's keep it going. I have some comics that I read this Wait, week. Wait, you got a big pick? Yeah. So the best thing I read this week, the best thing I read this week was Mr. Miracle number six. Comic book st- was stupid good. Dude! So you can actually, I swear to you, read this completely on its own. You... The perfect jumping in point, you say? Not a no. It's not a jumping in point. I would not jump in here and then continue reading it. I see. You could jump in here and then never read this book again Aha! and enjoy it thoroughly, completely on its own. So, Mister Miracle is the story of Mister Miracle, Scott Free, Scott Free, and Big Barda, and Scott Free has been sentenced to death. Right. The new gods have by have, the new gods. He's got to go. He's got to go. And uh, he they have instead of submitting to his fate of being executed, him and Big Barda, who is his wife, have chosen to fight, basically. So this is a book about them basically fighting for Scott's life. And the entire book just takes place over them fighting throughout the realm of the new gods. So the whole book takes place as they're like jumping through dimensions and across time. And it's all done in this nine panel style. There's a bunch of fighting and a bunch of really cool action under a bunch of different neat scenes. Like there's a moment where they're being crushed by like a giant incinerator and the panels get smaller. It's a shrinking room. Not an incinerator, but like a, you know, like a, like a compressor, like a trash compactor or something like that. And the panels get smaller over the course of two pages. And there's some like sweet laser fights that take place over these two nine page spreads. It's really, really dope. But what makes this book amazing is that the whole time they're talking about remodeling their condo. Yep. And that is all they talk about as this is happening. And as they're doing all these incredible things and as the guards are talking to each other and they're sentencing Scott Free to death, 
Mr. Miracle and Big Barda are just talking about like literally the layout of their condo and how they're going to manage their space together and what they use these rooms in their lives for and what the effect of their childhoods like being basically raised as murder orphans by new gods of what effect that had on how they perceive like belongings and space and where they live and then there's a reveal at the end that kind of reveals why they're talking about all this in the first place it was fucking stellar it's a master class in characterization and comics nobody makes superheroes seem like actual people and actual characters like Tom King does and I know we say this every fucking week but he is just he's a dude he's absolutely out of control right now yeah he is the best writer in comics overall at working putting out every other week we're talking about a Tom King comic yeah it's crazy I had to read this comic twice because the dialogue was so good that I find myself just zipping through pages yeah and not paying attention enough to what's actually happening because it's equally as cool in the context of what they're talking about, just how mundane it is for them to be fighting for their lives and like murking out these guards that are trying to kill them. Yep. And they're having this casual conversation. I just found myself like going back and forth, back and forth to make sure I was paying attention to the panels because the action is rock solid. Yeah. Throughout the whole book. Yep. No, it was it was uh, an, another blowout for Tom King. Yeah, that's Mr. Miracle number six. Everything that dude's doing right now is just he's really fire. Hit, he's really hit his stride. I was getting a little worried. Tom King was getting spread a little thin, especially he, as he started to become a bigger name, started to yeah. take on more projects, kind of mainstream. It stuff seems like and, he did vision, and it took and got a fan base, and he just realized like this was kind of a chance. This is what I want to do. Here we go. Yeah, and it just that seemed to be the moment that he got his shit together. Yeah, and he I mean he always had his shit together, but found his style and the stuff he put out in 2017 is was amazing and i just think he's going to be the best you should also mention that the vision hardcover released this week is it hot all it, it was 10 issues of the vision 12. 12 issues of the vision all in one beautiful hardcover for the first time collected in one thing all together oh the so cover on it sexy. too is like this you know laser beam like circuit board family tree of the visions family yeah, 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 yeah. it's very very cool it's very very cool here's the other thing though guys i I'm, did it's not all i read this week I'm so excited to talk about this book. Marcus is like flapping his hands together. I'm so excited. excited. It's the weirdest. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So the other thing I read this week was Fire Punch. This is a new manga from this dude, Tetsuki Fujimoto. And I, we have to talk about it because it's one of the weirdest fucking things that I've maybe ever read. So every day before the podcast, I go over to your house. I get my books that I'm going to read the night before. I picked this fire punch up. I was like, oh, cool. New manga. We don't talk about manga as much as I would like. I'm very excited. I go home, start making dinner for me and my lady. Right in the middle of dinner, my phone just starts bing. There's Nick. You have to read fire punch. (laughs) All caps. All capital letters. I was like, all right. So I'm like kind of reading it, kind of cooking. And it's the weirdest shit I've ever read. And I I burnt my sweet potatoes (laughs) because I stopped paying attention to them because this book is fucking bizarre. Sorry, so here's what this book's about. And this is within a couple pages you learn all this stuff. So in this book, a, an ice witch has frozen the planet Earth. Like it's it's desolate. So she's like uh, this world's ability, uh, a version of like a mutant. What do they call them? The blessed? The blessed. There you go. In the world, there are these people that are blessed and they have uh, special powers of some kind. And one of these blessed is the ice witch that has basically apocalypsed the planet. Everything is fucked. You know, humanity is just dying out because the entire planet is covered in ice. Yeah. It's it's very serious. 
these kids, we open up on these kids who have the ability to regenerate their arms or they have to to regenerate their bodies. They yes. can regenerate their limbs and they, they can heal themselves, right? So as it happens, like you do, these kids have been cutting their arms off and sharing their limbs with the people in this village to eat because there's nothing to eat because their arms just grow back. There's no food left. There's no food left. These kids with this special ability to grow back parts of their body are cutting off parts of their body and then very sweetly walking it around to all of their neighbors who are now fully dependent on these kids providing them their flesh. And it's not like they are surgically removing their arm. One of them is putting their arm on a wooden stump. The other person takes a maul and just hacks it off. Like yeah. it's not there's no science to it. Yeah. It's the most primitive way other than using a rock. And they walk up to these these their neighbors and they, "Oh, aren't you sweet? You brought us some meat again. We I don't know what we'd do without you." Oh. And so right away within 4 pages of this book opening, you are my, my mind yep. is just racing like, what in the fuck am I reading? This is completely crazy. No, it's so and matter that, of fact. It's like yeah. she tells the one lady, I drained the blood out of it for you so it will keep longer. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. And that is probably the 10th craziest thing in yeah. this entire book. So from there, it jumps off into this village is attacked and it's attacked by another blessed with the ability to uh, rain down fire that never goes out until it's completely used up all the fuel of the thing that it's burning, right? Yes. And this dude, who this guy Doma, who attacks the village, he attacks one of our you know main characters who regenerates their body. So he never, the flame never goes out, and he burns alive for like ten years. For like ten years, and he spends the first five years just in agony. Because he's just constantly in pain. It's magical fire that won't go out because his body keeps regenerating itself. And he slowly like learns to control himself just enough so that he can walk around. So his head's not on fire. Just so, so that it, he yeah. just gets it to the point where his head's not on fire five or six years later. And now he's just kind of like walking the earth looking for this dude that set him on fire so that he can fire punch him. Yeah. That's the book. It's so fucking crazy. What did you think of this book, Curtis? I just couldn't stop reading it. Yeah. I don't know who, you know, who I would tell, you know, we're telling you guys about this book. This book was like nothing I've read. Yes. It, 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 to call it dark is an understatement. I read lots of heavy things with heavy themes. This book places you, puts, puts you in this world that there's no option but to eat human flesh. Sure. Or humanity is done. They are, the person that attacks the village is also attacking on behalf of this I can't remember the name of the organization, Behemborg or something like that. Right. Yeah, city. The yeah. city that is basically they're slavers, more or less. They like travel the earth, like looking for blessed and looking for people to turn into slaves for this city because humanity's on the raggedy edge, and this is what we're left with: are you know just just garbage people, more or less. Marcus, what were your thoughts? It was it's it's a bizarre experience. I, I felt at the end that I needed to shower. Yeah, I still feel like I need to take maybe another shower. The thing about this book is it doesn't give a fuck about your brain mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. So you'll start with cannibalism, and then you'll you'll be introduced to some notions of incest, and then you'll go to the idea of torture. And then you move from torture to rape. Okay. And and it's just yeah. there 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 is stuff in there. There is meat in between. 
that, that doesn't have to do with any of that stuff. But just as you settle in and get just the tiniest drop of comfortable after the last awkward-ass thing you read, it'll bring up another really awkward thing. And by awkward, you mean... Terrible. Deeply unsettling. Yes. Yeah, I mean, awkward in the point that I felt awkward reading it. Yeah. You know, I felt uncomfortable. It made my skin crawl. And it just doesn't give you a chance to recuperate. Yeah. And it just, it's thing after thing, and it doesn't repeat itself. It's always something new that is morbid and dark. I've never read anything like it. I want to put it in a box and <laughs> and bury it somewhere. Yeah. Because I think that, <laughs> that maybe it should be hidden. Yeah. But I also want other people to read it because it is a unique reading experience. Here's what I liked about this book. I like the premise of the world. I I like the reaction of the bleakness. I like the the way that he has this world reacting to an apocalypse. No, it checks out, right? If you do the yes. math, or if you think you, it through, and you reduce humanity to this state, yeah, right, and and people become animals, and yep. it, it's this apocalyptic. Yep. Well, fuck. I like the pacing of it. I like the tone of it. A lot. I like the the way that he approaches these really like grotesque, horrible things, and it gets very grotesque. What I did not, what I have a really hard time with, and the reason why maybe I don't recommend this book is the rape stuff. And yeah. I'm not going to get into it very much. But what it never does is it ne- it's never gratuitous. It never shows any of this stuff. But there's a threat of sexual violence in yes. the book, and that is the hardest stuff to read a hundred percent, right? It, because it's it's I, again, I don't want to go too far into yeah, it, yeah. but it they, because they never actually show any of this stuff, it's not the kind of book like, so you got Berserk, the manga, or, right. you've, or you've got a book like, say, Terror Assaulter, where like they show gratuitous violence and really graphic violence and sexual acts because that's the kind of book it is. Like, we're trying to go over the top. Look how over the top it is. Yep. This is the point we're trying to make, right? But this book doesn't do that, but it threatens it, and that makes it almost more unsettling. Well, and yeah, I, and it's transactional. It's like currency. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Y- humans are in this place where th- these are just yeah. commodities. It's all co- human beings are commodified in whatever way. You're a slave. You're a sex slave. You're food. You're right. you know, fuel. It's, it's brutal. And by the time you get to a certain point in the book where they really start to dig in to the top five craziest shit in this book and yeah. demoralizing shit, you've already gone through so much just getting to that point that you're like, at least for me, I was like, come the fuck on. Yeah. Like, it, it's not a fun read. I didn't find it to be particularly enjoyable. But it's there's something kind of captivating about there, it. Yeah, it's the chaos. Yep. It's like the the darkness. Yeah, and the chaos is captivating. Yeah, but without it ever being like gross, it's unsettling, it's not but gross. not gross. Yeah, I, I just the the reason we had to talk about it is just because it's such a weird animal in like just in the canon of comics. I think I have to read the next volume. Me of this. too. I'm coming I, back for another volume. But I don't think I'll ever talk about this book. At work at a comic shop. Who I just don't know who to recommend it to. I don't know who I would recommend it nope. to. But it, and I don't know that I recommend it to you, the listener. Uh, to be honest, do a lot of research before you before you check this book out. But as a piece of comic book, man, oh man, it I mean, is it is really it's a singular fucking work. A few things have scrambled my brain. Yeah. Uh, in this way, I've never read anything like it. Yep. In my whole life, the creator is Tatsuki Fujimoto. It is his first book published in English, uh, but this book is something of a sensation overseas and in the illegal scan markets in the counterfeit manga market. Oh, it's really? a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. People have been really, really waiting for an official translation of this for quite some time. 
Woo! Fire punch. The name it, of that book? It fire punch. Yeah, it'll fire punch you right in the groin. Yeah, the, of your of your emotions. <laughs> That's right. Our big picks this week, or whatever they are this week, was Nemo from IDW, and what's the guy's name? Bruno. Thank you. Headlopper, number eight, technically. And that's by Andrew McLean. Thank you. And then Mr. Miracle, number six, from DC Comics, Tom King, Mitch Strutz. We did it. Last thing I want to talk about this week uh, is Vault of Midnight's Book of the Month. We do this every month. We do this every month. It happens to be a very good book that gets picked every single month. Might as well talk about it. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. The book this month is How to Survive in the North from Luke Healy. Nobrow Press. Is it just Nobrow? It is. I think it's just Nobrow. It might just be straight up Nobrow. It how, is. So How to Survive in the North is three different stories. Story the first. Ada Blackjack. She's a single mother. She is referred to in the book as an Eskimo. Yes. Or part of an Inuit, I think. She joins an Arctic expedition in 1921 because she is divorced. Her husband has fled the scene. He's yep. dead, isn't he? He's not dead. He fled the scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. With her- the, the intimation is that he is a jerk. Yeah, fair yep. enough, yes. Yeah. Her child is unwell, has tuberculosis. Has tuberculosis. She wants to get him down south. She wants to get him someplace a little bit warmer. But she's there's no money, right? And she's a divorced woman in 1921. So she joins an Arctic expedition as a seamstress. For a year. For one year's time. That's the agreement. She's going to go up there for a year. She's going to have enough money at the end of it to move down south and take care of her kid. That's the first story. The second story focuses on Robert Bartlett, captain of the Roosevelt, which left in 1916 as part of one of uh, Stephenson's expeditions to explore the North Pole or the, the Arctic region in general. And that would be the first folks, right, if I understand it correct, to get to the North Pole? No, this is sort just of part race. of like a large uh, cadre of explorers who are like just going up there a lot at this point. There's, There's a big movement yeah, essentially yeah, yeah. to Got like it. explore the great North. Yeah, but this dude, but Stephenson had this theory that like, you could go up there and live up there. Like, it's it's not out of the question that you could just go up to the North Pole and subsist off the land. And right. so Stephenson, in historical fact, was kind of a crazy dude who contributed a lot to Arctic exploration, but also, like, doomed a lot of people and got a lot of people killed because he, like, had these crack, you know, kind of harebrained theories about, you know, how easy it was to survive in the North. Turns out it's not easy. It's not not easy. So no. Robert Bartlett is the captain of this ship that's taking one of Stephenson's uh, expeditions up to the Arctic. And finally, we have a third story that's running along all of these about Sully, who's a tenured college professor in 2011. He's having a full-blown midlife crisis. He's having an affair with a student. His whole life is falling apart. And he discovers in the middle of all this that... Uh, he shares an office or his office in the college that he works at used to belong to Stephenson. Yep. Which is kind of crazy. And it sets him like kind of like looking in to these crazy Arctic expeditions. Yeah. He gets uh, a year off for uh, having an affair with a student. Yep. And he decides he's going to spend that time in the university library researching 
yeah. Stevenson. As he's kind of just like depressed and watching his life kind of fall to pieces around him and he has nothing to do with his time. So he like unhealthily like obsesses over this student that he's in love with and he is researching this stuff about the Arctic. Those three stories running concurrently. It sounds kind of sounds kind of kooky. What'd you guys think of it? I love this book. This is the perfect time to read this book um, for a number of reasons. One, if you live in the Great White North of anywhere and it snows, um, you know, it, there are some things in this book that are, are pretty uncomfortable. Um, there, These dudes who go on to this Arctic exploration and the seamstress go through, I think, as, as close to a living hell as you can possibly go through. And people are just getting crazy and doing dumb stuff. So what happens to them? What happens first of all? What happens to Ada Blackjack and her expedition? So they get they they make landfall and set up a camp, but supply resupplies are not coming um, because ice is moving and they, they you know so most of her crew tries to cross the sea on ice to get to Russia because they, and also their ride never shows up. Yeah, yep. just, a year a year comes by. And they're waiting for it, and months go by, and their ride never arrives. They're no. also on an island that is infested with polar bears. Wrangle Island. Yep. It's got more polar bears than, like, I did a big Wikipedia thing on this island. There's more polar bears on that island than, like, anywhere else in the Arctic. Yeah, yeah. dude totally lies to them, too. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, there's no polar bears here. Yeah. There's a ton of polar bears, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, another one, uh, the, uh, the ship with Captain... Bartlett. Bartlett, thank you. Um, his ship gets... Uh, ice locked mm -hmm. so they are trying to get somewhere and that's because Stephenson keeps pushing them and he's an asshole and he's, he's, he's kind, kind of an, of an asshole, asshole. Yeah. yeah so the, the the captain is a pretty smart dude and he understands the, the sea and he understands the capabilities of his crew but he, he just can't do his own thing he's getting pushed in a million different directions there are these different factions on his ship who don't necessarily even like each other yeah so he's got to deal with that and getting the ship to where it needs to go and in the end it gets it gets ice locked um, so they have to abandon ship and they like make a little settlement outside of it, um, it, which is just absolutely insane. But it's an interesting time to read this book because if you do live in an area, like I, I had this personal experience where I would go outside and I would work and I would freeze. And when you get really cold, you start to feel bad about yourself. It's just inevitable. I think it happens to everyone. It's a biological thing. Yeah. You yeah. just start to feel crappy about your situation and then you come in and you read this book and you sympathize, but at the same time, like, it's a weird mental relationship you have with these people. Because you get to go inside and be warm. I get to go inside at some and be point warm, in the yeah. Day. And you almost feel bad about it. Yeah. Because you read about all these dudes and, and their terrible experience and you get, to, you get to go inside and get warm and eat food. And, and, and I just don't think if you read this book in the summer... If it would have the same effect. Yeah. I think there's something about physically being cold during the time that you're reading this book puts you in a more sympathetic mind space to understand what these guys are going through. And it was an absolute joy to read. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I loved it. It really teaches you about actual cold. Uh, holy shit. Uh yeah, and the Sully character. I think reading about these historic tales was awesome. This is stuff I know very little about. Peripherally, you've you know I've heard of, you know this movement of Arctic exploration and some of these folks who who charted the the unknown, but the Sully character 
I, this is what's so cool about this book because it's mostly real stuff. So the Sully character being the contemporary dude in the, 2011. The, the professor, yeah. exactly, is, the, is totally fictional. There was a lot of research done on Ada Blackjack and all the you know the crew members. Yeah, Robert of Bartlett is a real dude, real guy, He's a real famous captain. The the Sully stuff is totally made up, totally fake. But it provides like this really really great kind of through line to all this stuff. These three stories really converge in this interesting way. So what do you guys think the through line is to? Because they are pretty, you know, you can see that the first two are they're both about the Arctic, but thematically they're pretty different. And then the Sully story is completely separate from those Arctic stories. Like this dude's problems are real problems, but nowhere near about to, you know, dying of scurvy and freezing no. to death. So what do you, what do you think, Curtis, the through line is between these three stories? Just the emotional stuff. You know, Sully is all alone. This guy, nobody likes him. Mm-hmm. He's going Isolation? Through, isolation, exactly. He's, he's just going through some some heavy shit. And I think, you know... Like Marcus said, you got a lot of time to think when you're all alone on an island. Like Ada Blackjack is alone for months after her yeah. final companion passes away. And she's, her thought process, what she's going through, you know, figuring out what she wants, you know, what is life. Uh, you know, Sully's definitely doing this stuff. And from a contemporary perspective, you know, it just, I don't know, it, 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 it it's easier to relate to these guys hearing Sully talk about it or, or sure, you know. I think there's also a thread about like the dangerous obsession is what I would call it. Yes. Um, and the idea that like, yeah, so, it, you know, we can go to the North Pole now. It's really not that big of a deal. People still die all the time because it's a dangerous, terrible place. But even back then, like the idea of like going to this dangerous area, it seems really appealing until you get on the boat. Mm-hmm. And then once you start to have to live with that. Um, it just goes downhill. And in, in the Sully story, he has this affair with this student. I'm sure it's this like a moment of great passion. But once you start to have to live with that, it goes downhill pretty quick. Yeah. And there's this thing. It's this. It's the. It's the dangerous temptation. It's I need to do this thing because it's wild and different and something that maybe people wouldn't expect from me. But then you have to live with the consequences of your actions. And uh, both of these stories, or all three of these stories, I think, really deal with that idea of, and I think it's human nature mm-hmm. um, in a way, but I think these three stories are really bound by that that concept. Right. The crew that has to walk 700 miles to Siberia to get help. Across frozen a- ice. Across f- frozen sea ice is the craziest shit ever. It blows my mind, too, that, like, in this book, they'll, they'll one of the characters will point out that, like, hey, let's go to the top of this hill. Over there is where my last expedition cra- failed. crashed and failed and we were stranded. Right. And he went back out. And that blows my mind about these dudes. This is not really the point of the book, but it's, it is, a lot of it is about the consequences of hubris in a lot of ways. And, you know, because they, they basically, for glory and for r- the romance of exploration, they put themselves and mostly like the people around them in these hugely dangerous situations. But there's something pretty amazing about a dude that was just on a crew. He's not the leader of the expedition. And he gets completely stranded in the Arctic and then he goes back. For years. He's stranded out there for years and goes back. Yeah. It's wild. So. Yeah. It's a great book. Um just to talk about the art for a little bit. Please. Um, I really love this. This book's use of color stood out to me more than most. Mm-hmm. So there are certain colors that are associated with different characters that we see in the book. So Ada Blackjack has like this salmony pink 
that kind of follows her around. Mm-hmm. Sully has this lime green, kind of this tree green. Um, and for a book that takes place in the Arctic, you would think that most of it would be kind of this white, barren landscape. But they use color. Uh, Luke, Luke Healy uses color so well that it's a very bright and vibrant book. Thank goodness it would be even more bleak yeah. if he left the colors out. But things are colored that maybe wouldn't be that color in real life, and it's fine. But it does, you're totally right, I didn't even think about that, but it does help you navigate it a little bit more. It, you, I think you would have to, because his character drawings are pretty similar. He, I mean, like, some guy may be skinny, some guy may be broad. But yeah, they, you but know, it's, it's a simple, yeah. news-strippy, cartoony style. Absolutely. Yes. So the color really helped me keep into story, and it also, like... Sometimes even in the bleakest shit that these people go through, there will be a little bit of that color. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I thought that was a really interesting way to do it as you have all these cross stories yeah. to kind of symbolize these individual people. And, and that's kind of juxtaposed to like at the beginning of the book, there's a great double page spread of the Northern Lights yeah. across two pages. Right. And that is set against just stark white. And so maybe that's why that maybe because I, I couldn't quite figure out, like that's a really cool thing, but maybe having those northern lights and all of those different colors at the beginning is establishing that like, hey, in the midst of all of this bleak cold, like look at how much color there is. Well, it's also I mean the colors they use for the northern lights are the three colors of the characters. Yeah, which is really now cool. we're cooking. Which is really now really we're cool. book clubbing. Yeah, now we're book clubbing it. So I think I mean yes, this book is bleak. Yes, this book uh, is hard to read at times. Um, just because there's so much despair, like uh, no, there's this so, so many hopeless this, moments. Yeah, two thirds yeah. of this book is hopeless moments, yeah, or people dying. But I like the I like the symbolism of the Northern Lights and the idea that like yes, terrible things are happening, but these three particular characters are kind of like moving on this journey, yeah, and we don't know where that journey is going to go, um, but they're going to go through it and you're going to be there with them. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Is it, it's a, you guys called it. I mean, it's, it's a story about loneliness and it's a story about isolation and it's, it's a high wire act to include with these like death defying harrowing stories of Arctic exploration with just some dude's midlife crisis. And that, right. that is a tough thing to pull off that I think he actually pulls off really, really well. No, totally. Cause they're not equal in weight. Right. When you really yep. think about it, like this life or death alone, yep. dying but, alone on an Island, but, you feel it. You feel it in you that moment. You feel what this dude's going through. Yeah. No, it's really cool. And, and this book needs an art style like this. It needs this this peanut style, mm-hmm. comic strip, classic, cartoonist style. Otherwise, you know, it just, it, it would be way too heavy. I don't want to see scenes in the tent of scurvy, hyper-realistically no. rendered, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and then the whole thing like that, right? You just don't want that. So, um, you know, ar- artistically, I think this is... A complete package. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's How to Survive in the North. That is our book of the month. It's phenomenal. It's very, very good. It's one of the best things I've read. And that is our show. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Nicholas. Thanks for being here with me, dudes. Thank you so much. If you think about it, this podcast is kind of like being stranded on an Arctic island. <laughs> yeah? How, how do you figure? Well, it's just three dudes. Uh-huh. Eating blubber. Uh, occasionally, we hear a weird voice from beyond that guides us to do things. Uh-huh. Who knows what that voice is? And at one point, someone's going to get scurvy. And somebody's going to get at. Hey, yes. That's, Scurvy is such a drag, it turns out. You, I never, you don't want that. I never realized how like the steps that Scurvy takes to kill you 
It's it sounds like the worst disease. You know, freaks me out almost more than anything in this book is the is when dude like just looks at another dude. He's like, have you ever seen someone die of scurvy? And the other guy just doesn't even respond. Like, yeah, yeah. it's the most horrible thing. I have seen it. I've and seen it, is, it a bunch. And it is yeah. fucking horrible. Your legs stop working, so you can't even move. And yeah. then you're just forced to lay there, and your teeth fall out, yeah. and you just fucking cough up blood to death. For want of a of an orange. Just have a piece of citrus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Always bring oranges. That, remember that. Always bring oranges. This has been another episode of Super Skull. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull show on iTunes or Stitcher. Those reviews help a whole lot. It helps people find out about us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. And as of today, you can check out our donate page on superskullshow.com. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. I am Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And always bring oranges with you. Until next week. They're just delicious. I had a bit, but it's like the wrong place for it. What was the bit? I was going to say, you could tell Nick how pretentious he is for $50. <laughs> I'll read that shit. I'll read that shit every you day. You can make me read that shit. You, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For 50 bucks, we'll read just about anything. And I, and I have to talk about how pretentious <laughs> I am. This is the thing. I love graphic novels. Blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Push yeah. the medium forward. <laughs> blah, blah, blah.